Hey everybody and welcome to the Vulnerable Entrepreneurs coming at you from the great city of Worcester, Massachusetts. I'm Sean Riley. And I'm Common Thrath. And today, like always, we're having a no bullshit conversation about the entrepreneurial way of life. Hey Sean, I'm really excited today to have a special guest uh, who is a good friend of mine and we, we actually have grown to become uh, good friends as we've been more involved in, in the community together and, and you know, business associations and we volunteer uh, together. Uh, his name is Peter Martino. Uh, he is the CEO of Align360 Solutions and he spent 14 of his years building a successful remodeling company. Um, but as the company grew, it became chaotic and disorganized. So Peter was actually introduced to a system called the EOS, which is the Entrepreneurial Operating System, which helps grow businesses in every area in revenue, profit, customer satisfaction, and a lot more. Um, I've heard about this system for quite some time, and I know other agency owners who use it, and they they rave about it. So I'm really excited uh, to also be working with Peter and to hear more about how he's uh, helping businesses. So Peter, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, excellent. Welcome, Peter. That's great. Thank you, Sean. Glad to be here. And let's get into it today. We want to talk a little bit about focus, one of my uh, favorite and dreaded um, concepts. You know, we as entrepreneurs, yourself included, are forced to focus on multiple things at once, right? Mm -hmm. Which is really impossible. Um, I think multitasking and Kam and I have talked about this a bit is, is kind of a fallacy. Although I keep going back to the singer who also plays an instrument that's multitasking too. So I think I'm on the multitasking fence, but generally in business, you can only give a hundred percent to one thing. So can you talk a little bit about yourself personally first and how you focus and, and what do you do to focus? And you know, there's deep work and oh, I work for 20 minutes and I take 40 minutes off. Do you have a process or a, plan what what gets you to focus yeah absolutely I, I think personally uh I'm a list person I like I like lists checklists and listing stuff out and then organizing it and we teach our clients to do that as well um we just think there's something very therapeutic about getting everything in your head out in front of you onto onto paper or into a digital queue of sorts and then prioritizing so on a daily basis if I'm not in session with a client which is very well organized and agenda driven. If I'm, if I'm just working on uh, my business development or busy work, I tend to list out what I have to do. And then I pick the top three things, the highest impact, highest value things that I can do first. And I work through those until they're done. And if I get through them, then I'll pick three more and work through those until they're done. And sometimes that list carries over from day to day and even, even longer than that, but it keeps me focused uh, and keeps me energized and, rowing in the right direction. I also have an assistant, really an administrator more, more than an assistant and uh, being able to delegate certain things to her has helped me stay really on the top things, the things that only I can do and given her stuff that only she can do and she does much better than I do. That's interesting when you talk about an assistant because you have to, in order for you to be able to increase your focus on those things that you define as having that you have to get done. We mm -hmm. tend to, we tend to force ourselves to give up some control of the things that we think we have to do ourselves. But over time we realize somebody else could, should, and probably is better at doing this than I am. Right. So it becomes a, this conundrum of 
I have all these things on my list that are so important that I have to get them done and I have to focus on them, but I don't have time to do them. So I'm going to hire an assistant essentially to have somebody else (laughs) do it, which by definition means all those things aren't important for me to necessarily do. Right. So talk a little bit about that control exercise. How did you go through and say, okay, here's my top 10 list, but ah, five of these, I need to get an assistant to have he or she do them. Yeah, I, I, I actually learned this tool. I come, I think I've told you about this tool, but it's called delegate and elevate. Um, and I learned it as a, as a EOS client. So the, the implementation I now do with my clients, I learned this as a, as a learner. And so it's really simple. And what you do is you take everything you do within your day or your week, and you list it out on a legal pad or a piece of paper or type it into a spreadsheet if you want everything you do, even the embarrassing stuff, even the silly stuff. Um, so you do that over time. Cause I think people, they, they tend to not know exactly where all their time's going until they sit down and actually list it out. So back when I was running a business, I did this where I would have a, a pad of paper next to me and throughout a, the course of a week, I would list out all the stuff that I was doing. And it was very eye opening just doing that alone to see where my time was going. And then what we do is we, have people separate that into a quadrant. So if you think of a four box quadrant, right? This quadrant is where the top left is things you love to do and you're great at. The top right is things you like to do and you're good at. The lower left is things you don't like to do, but you're good at. And then the lower right is things you don't like to do and you're not good at. And tough to visualize, but when you see this quadrant, it it makes sense. And then what we do is we take the list and we segment it into all four of those boxes. And the goal here is to elevate ourselves to only be doing stuff in the top two quadrants, ideally in the top left, which is love to do and are great at. And if you think about the lower quadrant, lower right is I don't like doing them and I'm not good at them. Those are the things you should delegate immediately. If you're not good at it and you hate doing it, well, then why the heck are you doing it? There's someone that will do it better, cheaper, faster, more efficiently. Now, here's the tricky one. The lower left quadrant is things that you don't like to do, but you're good at. And that's the entrepreneurial struggle, I think. I think people think no one else can do this. No one else will do it. I'm the only one that can do it. I hate it, but I'm still going to do it because no one else will pick it up. And so we teach business owners that there is someone out there that will do it. They'll do it better than you. They'll do it as efficient. And you need to let go of that stuff because that's where your entrepreneurial dream is going to go to die. That's a very good point. And I think that, you know, the last point you made about entrepreneurs having this idea that, okay, I'm the only one that can do this. Really, the, the, the sentence isn't finished. It's I'm the only one that can do this the way that I believe I or it needs to be done. So it's no, it's not a skill set thing. It's a control thing. And me myself being an entrepreneur, it took me a long time to be able to frankly hire people to, to delegate that out and, and be more efficient with my time, which ultimately is going to make at least the beginning of the firm or the company, whatever you're doing, run more efficiently. If you can push that efficiency down across your organization that's going to be a win, at least the starting of a win for the entire company, right? If you're able to delegate and push aside or around those things that not only you don't like to do, but they still have to get done, but you might not have the best skill set to do them. It's just a control thing. It's like, well, I have to do it. I'm the guy. 
100%. Calm, go ahead. Even backing off what Sean's saying, you know, like stretching out, businesses are, you know, during, you know we're, we're in this pandemic and businesses are streamlining, you know, trying to run lean and mean, but they have to make choices of their people. And I want to delegate. I don't know if I can afford it. When, when, does, when does a business know when to bring on a person or make that decision um, so that they can run more efficiently? Yeah, I think, I think businesses tend to grow kind of in steps. If you think of steps on, on a set of stairs, uh, and in a lot of cases, you need to be willing to make an investment for, for the growth that it will help you achieve. And so those are difficult decisions sometimes about how, how to grow and how to scale, how to add people. But I rarely find an organization that added a person, gave them a clear expectation of what they were going to accomplish in the business, meaning what are the roles that those people are responsible for and had them actually accomplish those things and then regret it. That's pretty rare. Um, so I think the tool we, we use is called an accountability chart. And it's a, it's a structure of your organization. It's, it's an organizational chart on steroids. It's, it's basically laying out the, the clear structure of your organization. What are the major functions in your business? Um, and then listing out the roles in each one of those functions that have to get done. And this makes it crystal clear who's responsible for what and making sure everything's getting done. And so that's an activity we go through with, leadership teams of entrepreneurial organizations. And what that helps them see is where the gaps are, uh, what's not being done well, and it helps them really think through where, what their next hires can be, or, or maybe the ability to bring someone in or bring someone over from another department, bring someone up within the organization. So that that exercise is very eye-opening. And, and I'm shocked sometimes at some of the size of companies I'm working with, 30, 40, 50 employees at times where they they've never actually sat down and laid out a detailed accountability chart to make it crystal clear what needs to get done and who's responsible for it. So that activity alone creates clarity. I went through this just this past week with a client and uh, the owner's name is still in three or four seats in the company and he knows it's a problem, he knows it's an issue and he doesn't want that to be. So by really digging into their accountability chart and making it really clear what they had and what they didn't have, he's now able to prioritize his next hire. So he walked out of that meeting with a list of three hires in priority. He knows one one's gonna take more off his plate than the other two. So he's gonna go after that role first and and follow uh, follow along and, and hire the other two people soon thereafter. You know, that's a, a good uh, point you bring up, Peter. It's almost like the tools that you're talking about are certainly the process, almost tool agnostic, but that process should almost, almost be done when the, the entrepreneur is just starting. Because I bet you go into a lot of clients to your point where you have a bunch of people. And to be honest, the CEO is probably lying to you if he knew exactly what everybody is doing versus what he thinks they're doing versus what they should be doing, right? So, you know, not to pile on the entrepreneur, but they're used to doing everything because they're usually the only one in the room with a light on as the sun goes down and comes up doing right. it. So as you know, again, we talked about control, it becomes a control thing, but also you want to be there at the beginning to help them to comms point, determine when is the, the next the employee number two coming on and what are they be, do, you know, what are they doing? Also, I think Com brings up a good point. When you go into an organization, you talk about being lean, you have to look at efficiency and being lean in a lot of cases because you've already made the mistake of 
creeping of having people that you've brought on and you're paying them a, you know, a lot of money, which the company's biggest expense and you're not hundred percent sure what they're doing. So how much creep has their job gone through because your business has changed or, you know, shrunk or grown or whatever. And, you know, a tool that you talk about is something that I think you can use to kind of say, whoa, wait a minute. I have an entire department that is doing something 60% of what they should be doing. And, you know, again, the comp's point, it's all about budget. You know, those people, if we realign that a little bit, or frankly understood what they were doing first and realigned it, we could save money or become more strategic in bringing those other people on. Right. So I think it's not a, a big fault of the entrepreneur. When you're starting a business, there is no person you're going to delegate to. It's you, man, until the right. revenue comes in. And, you know, but I think you bring up a great point where you have to, at some point, put in the process. And I would believe early on. Yeah. To I, understand what you need to do before you make the mistake and have to bring in the process later. Right. Well, I, I also caution people that you will make mistakes, but don't you want to make mistakes with, with clarity or make mistakes and, and able to quickly, uh, you know, you, you know, the term fail fast, right? So you make yeah. mistakes and, and you, you, you bounce back and you, you take the next version of it. Um, right. I think it's never too early and it's never too late to build an accountability chart. You know, I recommend people do it even if they're a one or two person company where if you think about it this way, every organization has really three major functions. They have a sales and marketing function, the people designed and, and processes around bringing, bringing prospective clients to the company and getting them excited about working with you, uh, whether that's clients or customers. And then you have an operations function and those are the people that are, are uh, designed and aligned around processes aligned around um, making sure that you're delivering on the products and services and goods. And then you have a finance administrative type function that's tracking the inflow and outflow resources in the business. So if as an entrepreneur, your name's in all three of those seats at first, of course, right? You're selling it, you're producing whatever the content is or whatever the product is, and you're tracking finances and all of that. So what do you want to delegate first? What do you want to, what do you want to outsource? What do you want to hire for? Um, we live in a wonderful time where some of those things can be outsourced um, at a fraction of the cost that we would have paid for them 10, 15 years ago. And so seeing that in front of you and saying, what, do, what is it that I'm good at? What's my, what's the thing in this business that only I can do when no one else can do and making a, just a clear list of how you want to scale and grow the business. So it's never too early to do that. It's also never too late because if you've never done it before, now's the time. Uh, and by doing that and creating clarity about what the structure of the organization is and making sure you're putting the right people in those seats. If you, if you like Jim Collins, you know, you know, the right people, right seats concept. Uh, so it's never too late to do it. If you haven't done it, you should. You know, one thing that we, uh, one, one thing that we like to really kind of really get to know you as, as an entrepreneur is, little like context for our listeners is like your background kind of like, you know, what was your upbringing like? What, what, what do you think were the factors that, you know, make, makes you as Peter, you know, going into being an entrepreneur, was there, was there anything in your child childhood? Was there anything later in life? Um, any triggers or any moments that that happened for you? Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You asked that. I was just talking to someone about that this morning. Um, I grew up in a family business. My father 
still to this day owns a stained glass studio. So very unique. Oh, wow. Yeah, a cool business produces beautiful pieces of stained glass for churches and and uh, for restaurants and sometimes for private private residences and things like that. Uh, so he's been in business forty five years or more now, and. Um, so I grew up in that business, kind of learned the ins and outs of what it's like to live in, in business. Cause when you run a family business, as you know, Com, Sean, you know, as well, it, there's so much overlap between business and personal. So, um, I remember what it's like having, a uh, discussions, you know, with air quotes across the dinner table about business, right. Um, between my parents. And then as I got older and I was working in the business between me and my dad at, at times. So, I think my roots in wanting to help entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial businesses is there. And I did, I didn't really hit me until the past couple of years that I realized that that's probably where it is because, um, you know, if I could go back and, and help my dad grow and scale and make that business, uh, even greater than it was, cause it, it, it was, and it is a great business. I, I would love to do that. And so my hope is that I'm working with people now that won't have to go through some of the same struggles that many businesses go through. So I think that's where my roots are really in family business. I, I knew I never wanted to sit in a cubicle. Um, you know, the poor cubicle, I, I always think about the poor cubicle gets such a bad rap, right? The cubicle is such a good idea until people had to work in them. And then it became just a horrible idea. They talk about when they started it, it's like, okay, everybody's going to sit in these cubicles. And for you to collaborate and talk together, you either have to go around this really long walk where you have to half stand up and talk over walls, which defeats the purpose of the cubicle of having privacy and deadening some sounds. So you have everybody half standing up, yelling at each other to talk about what they're trying to get done. So great idea on paper. But yeah, and I said that I've sat in many cubicles. Yeah, I, I knew I never wanted to work in a, a corporate setting or a cubicle. I, I think maybe it's maybe it's a pride thing, but I just wanted to be in businesses where I felt like I could make an impact uh, with with small changes. And that's what's awesome about entrepreneurial businesses is you you can have an influence, you can have an impact every single day, and that comes with a lot of headaches. That comes with a lot of challenges. Absolutely. You know. Sometimes you have to sweep the floor and pick, take out the trash and, um, you know, be the one that's getting dirty loading and unloading trucks in different industries and things like that. Uh, everyone chips in, but, um, but it's wonderful too, in the sense that you can think up a new process or a new way of doing things and you can put action behind it and have it off the ground within days. Whereas in bigger, more corporate settings, that's going to be tough to do. So I was always passionate about that. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I think you you bring a unique perspective, I think, because your business is helping entrepreneurs. And, I, and I, would, I would think that you can glean a lot from that as well as an entrepreneur. You're almost practicing what you're preaching, but then you're getting feedback from your clients or you're walking into these projects saying, oh, you know what? I really like the way they're doing that. Maybe I could do that with my practice or my business. Or you know what? I could use this at this client. So you really, you know, I look at what you do as certainly an asset to frankly, any size business that started as an entrepreneur, um, because you know that there's inefficiencies in there or, or mistakes that are just festering every day. Um, even for very profitable companies, it's not, it's not how profitable you are, it's how profitable you could be given some of these changes. But you also are creating this network of a pool of issues that you can identify almost trend 
and say, well, this is really in, in companies that are seven to 20 people. This is the number one thing, misidentification of responsibility of resources or misidentification of resources, whatever that is, and be able to trend that. So you almost become smarter because you're walking into your next client with all of this kind of stuff you've already gleaned from all your other projects. And oh, by the way, you're also an entrepreneur too. So you know how it fits. You know, it's not just a solution. It's, and here's how you can implement it. And it's going to be a little rough over here, but over here, it's going to be really smooth. So I think you bring a very needed, but a different perspective as instead of just being a company that focuses on helping entrepreneurs. Cause what does that mean at the end of the day? We're all different yet. We're all the same, but you come at, um, from the same garden. Yeah. We, right? we say, we say jokingly, but with really with truth behind it, we say in our community, uh, there's only 27 issues that businesses have ever faced and it's kind of a joke, but it's kind of true. There really are common problems and common issues in our system, Gino Wickman, the creator of EOS and, and the whole the whole system, he boiled it down to six key components of business. And the idea there is that everything you're dealing with in business, if you feel like you're dealing with 136 different issues, they're actually all rooted in a lack of strength in just one of six things in your business. Um, and so to whatever extent you can strengthen those six key things in your business that we call the six key components, all those symptoms, all those issues that are actually symptoms of those root causes are actually going to go away or, or get solved along the journey. So what we do with our clients is we teach them tools and disciplines and ways of operating that strengthen those six things at the root. And then you find the symptoms can just kind of fade away or, or get solved along the way. When, and you're, you're okay, seeing all the, the good, the bad, the ugly, Peter, but like, yeah. we want to know kind of the ugly that you've been through. Like what, what has been like a scar for you, that vulnerable thing that, that you went through, but you learned from it, you know? Well, here, this is my, I think I'm more on the vulnerable side than the entrepreneur side. And that's, that's my confession here. I actually don't consider myself to be an entrepreneur. You guys might consider me to be one, but um, I am running a private business, private practice. It's, it's, we're just two people. It's me and my administrator, Laura. Um, and the reason I don't consider myself to be an entrepreneur is maybe because I think we use the term a little bit more in a, in a blanket fashion nowadays. Maybe everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. I consider myself to be more of a, more of a specialist or more of a, um, you know, more of a practitioner of sorts. I have a specific tool set, a specific skill set, a craft, if you will. And I help entrepreneurs in their businesses. Um, just like, just like a freelance, you know, web developer or a, a freelance uh, designer of some sort, or even a great plumber and electrician that just, they work alone and they're great at what they do or a finished carpenter, right? Um, I don't consider us on that side to be entrepreneurs. I, I think entrepreneurs really are, are more about uh, growing something, growing an organism, growing, growing an organization, taking people with them, taking financial risk, um, wanting people to come alongside them and join them in their journey. To me, that's more entrepreneurship. And so I feel blessed to, to help those people achieve their vision for their organizations. Um, so there's my vulnerable admission that I really think I'm on this podcast as a kind of a fraud. <laughs> oh, but you have fears, Peter. Come on. We all have fears, right? So like the, what, what keeps you up at night? 
No one yeah, I do. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing, nothing keeps me up at night just because, I mean, I'm, uh, I have a strong faith. So I think my faith, it keeps me grounded and secure. Um, you know, I, I survived cancer as a young man. I was 23 years old, first year of marriage, um, had to come home and told, tell my wife I had a tumor the size of a grapefruit in my chest. So, um, that was a, that was a, a difficult season for us very close to, you know, dying from that disease, a, a, a lymphoma. And, um, so in terms of what keeps me up, what keeps me up at night, it's not, it's not the run of the mill stuff that maybe keeps other people up at night. Um, I feel blessed to be alive and to have four wonderful children of our own. And so, you know, my faith keeps me grounded and, and, um, just feeling blessed every day. But in terms of what pisses me off and stresses me out or, um, maybe what worries me. Yeah. I mean, I, I live and die by how many clients I can work with and and how well I can take care of them. Um, my business is set up such that there's no retainer. There's no contract. It's all session by session. Um, and so we put ourselves out there saying, listen, if you're not happy with what we're doing, if, if you're not happy with what I'm doing and how I'm taking care of you in these sessions, you don't pay for it and we don't schedule another one. Uh, so that there's risk there. And at times that can be a little bit stressful, but, um, yeah, no, I, that's just the way we're set up. Um, I'm sure I can think of some other, some other things that, uh, you know, I feel vulnerable or, or I feel anxious about at times. Um, but I don't know. I mean, as a father, just raising children and bringing them up in this world, which, you know, gets crazier and crazier over time. It seems like, I think that's probably the things that bring me a little bit more stress in my day-to-day thought and just my day-to-day conversations with my wife. I'm sure you guys, I know you're both parents and you feel the same way. You know, I got to tell you, I think, I think fraud is not the right word. I think you're selling yourself short and I'll give you a little pep talk. You are a cancer survivor. You're married, which, you know, being married, not once, but twice has its own set of challenges. You're a father as I am. That's a challenge. And you, your business lives or dies, whether based on the decisions you make, whether you go to work or not, your business will, will either suffer or thrive. You don't have the man in the white office saying, Oh, Peter's not in today. No big deal. He still gets the same paycheck on Friday. You're absolutely an entrepreneur. (laughs) And we say in this podcast too, is that just because someone doesn't have their own business or a thriving business, people associate incorrectly size and success with legitimacy of being an entrepreneur. Most of us fail and never go back to it. So to to fail and to keep going is one thing to fail, to keep going and then get successful is something entirely um, different. I actually read an article today, which I didn't even know about that Jeff Bezos. So he worked at a hedge fund first and he read an article that was talking about internet purchasing, like going up by 2,300% a year or month, whatever it was, it doesn't matter. And that was the Genesis of him starting Amazon. He, he was an entrepreneurial for, he wasn't an entrepreneur at first, but he was entrepreneurial. Yeah. So I think just because someone doesn't have a company or frankly doesn't have a successful one, I think doesn't necessarily define you as an entrepreneur. It's your, it's your way of thinking. It's how you deal with fear and how you deal, deal with risk. And I think, you know, t- 
today is a perfect example of how you deal with strength and continuing to go. I mean, you know, surviving what you survived, game over. I'm going to go find a cubicle. I'm going to make a decent salary and I'm not going to, I can worry about everything else except my job. But you don't, you're entrepreneurial. You're like, you know what? I'm going to go to this meeting and if it sucks, I'm not going to charge my client. Well, man, if that ain't the definition of being an entrepreneur, I don't know what is. And you live or die by the decisions you make. Well, I appreciate welcome to the club, man. (laughs) I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I I mean, I feel blessed to be in a community that has paved the way for us. There's now 350 of us worldwide doing, doing what I do in their own private businesses, their own private setup. Um, but we're so collaborative and, and I just feel really blessed that there's people out there that have made, made a lot of the mistakes that I don't have to make. And I have a coach that helps me stay on track and a community of people that help me stay on track. So, um, I appreciate the, uh, the pep talk. Um, and I, you know, I was kind of being a little bit facetious, but, um, I do, I do have a, a higher level of appreciation for, for people that are really trying to grow something special and they, they want to take people with them. They want to pave the way they, they, they want to, they want to create a ton of jobs. I mean, I think I'm helping create jobs in influencing companies to be better, but there's sure. people that really take it right on, right on their shoulders. Com's doing that. Sean, you're doing that. Um, they take it right on their shoulders to, to grow things and, and, and um, take risks. And it's not always about a specific product or specific service. I, you know, I find those people to be more, more in the inventor category when they fall in love with one specific product. Um, But an entrepreneur for me is someone that is willing to put themselves out there, taking on the risk, taking on the financial risk. And and, um, maybe the fact that they could just lose, they could just straight up fail and lose. And they're willing to to do that, to put a smile on their face and try to cast vision and, and get people excited about coming along with them. Well, I love it. I love it. So listen, now this is one of my, my, I have, I go through many favorites. Before before you start on this, Sean, before you start your, your, uh, your interrogation. (laughs) It's not, it's never interrogation. (laughs) It is a little, Um, but not really. You know, with, with people with the pandemic and the, 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 the chaos of trying to organize your day, you know, you have four kids, I, I got three and, you, you might've heard my daughter in the background quickly jumping off a zoom call here and it's tough to stay focused, right? The topic today is about focusing and stuff. What's the best advice or takeaway you can give professionals or just people uh, when it just feels overwhelming and just chaotic? Huh? That's a, that's a good one. Uh, frequent and, and really strong communication. If you're married, so frequent and strong communication with your spouse and just planning. Um, we do family meetings and they've kind of waned now over the past few months. We did one the other night, but when COVID first hit, we were doing family meetings every couple of nights and we were letting the kids put issues on the board, meaning what's, what's ticking them off, what's affecting them. My wife and I would put issues on the board about what's, what's not going well in the household. And, and we would work through those, um, and that was an awesome experience. We're still doing them less frequently now, but we walk out of those meetings uh, with clear expectations for us and our children. And it was great because they were able to give us feedback. Uh, silly little stuff like my son was like, why do I have to ask for a snack? Every, every time I want a snack, I have to specifically ask you, can I have this? And we're like, yeah, that is kind of dumb because they were used to being in school and, and taking a lunchbox full of food with them. And then they're not asking anyone, they're just eating it in school. And so we, we gave them permission 
to at the beginning of the day, pull out all of their snacks for the day. And we just take one look at it and we say, yes, approved at any time during the day, you can eat anything from that basket. So little stuff like that. I just think, I think families need to get creative, um, over communicate with your children, with your, with your spouse. And you're just a team. I mean, I I've never felt more like I was on a team than the past six months with my family, uh, locked away in a, in a, in a house and, um, all trying to, trying to figure this thing out together. I also think your favorite, one of your favorite words, vulnerability works. I tell my clients this all the time and it works at home too. Um, it's okay to say, listen, guys in your business or in your family life, I've never led anyone through a pandemic before. This is the first time I've ever had to do this. And I hope you'll give me some grace as I try to figure this thing out. And, and I'll try to extend to you the same grace. So it's important to say that in business and it's important to say that at home too. Well, I completely agree with that. I, I think like the that board. I think I'm going to do the board. Yeah, that's a good idea too. I like the, the quadrants. That's a good, that's a, that's a cool exercise. That's a really cool exercise. I think too, chaos is a man-made thing. I think that if you create chaos, then you're going to feel chaos. I think the ability to step out of it's a choice, it's always a choice to step out of that chaos, whatever it is, work, family, kids, what spouse, whatever, friends, you have the ability and frankly, the authority to step away from that chaos. Chaos is a man-made thing. So yeah. Just don't make it. One of, my, one of my favorite quotes, uh, Rourke Denver, if you've never read, read or seen Rourke Denver, he's a Navy SEAL, now speaker, communicator, really, really strong uh, communicator. And he talks about, he gives a story about how when he was in training and uh, the commander pulled them aside because everyone is kind of panicked and chaotic. And he said, listen, take a knee, everybody listen up. And I'm not telling the story as good as Rourke Denver would, but look, look it up. There's a YouTube video on it. And he said, his commander said, hey, 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 calm is contagious. Calm is contagious, not calm, K-H-A-M, but calm, C-A-L-M, is contagious. Um, and so he helped them learn that if you demonstrate calm, it's contagious. He says, uh, failure is contagious. Mistakes are contagious. Stupid is 100% contagious, right? So on it's, it works both ways. It works on the negative side and it works on the positive side. And you know, that's something we repeat often in business and off and often even in family, if we can stay calm, we're going to have a more level, a level head. We're going to be more logical and less emotional in the negative sense and be able to make better decisions. The last thing calm needs is another phrase that we're going to put on our, our swag. So we appreciate I, I just that. Messaged, uh, our, Not our really. Managers, like we get some good quotes here from Peter. Like, I love all this. Well, notice, <laughs> I can't, I can't hardly take credit for any of them. I just, we, we used in my, in my previous business, we called it R and D rip off and duplicate. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, man. That's right. That's right. Quote right there. All right, Sean, let's, 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 all right. So listen, it's time to get serious. Now it's time to get vulnerable. We do in, in homage. Um, that's my French word for the day. Uh, we do a little tribute to Bernard Pivot, who is a French, um, uh, writer. I think he wrote for a magazine in France and he developed a questionnaire, a 10 question questionnaire, um, which I like because it's, it's telling. So Peter, very quick first word that comes to your mind type of thing. What is your favorite word? Oh man. Uh, I, I'm going to say accountability. 
That's a popular one. What is your least favorite word? Um, right now it's, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest here. It's pivot. <laughs> oh God. I hate that word. <laughs> now this is where we try to get that E we were talking about earlier. What turned you on again? The floor is yours. It's up to you. How you want to answer. <laughs> oh, what turns me on? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm madly in love with my wife. Uh, you know, I say, I say, <laughs> we don't have four children because we love children. We have four children because we love each other, right? <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, that is brilliant. <laughs> uh, so what turns me on? No, I mean, I really, I love my family. I love, uh, I love my, I love my friends. Um, like I said, I, I love my faith and I love the community of faith that's around me. I'm very involved in my church and, and, you know, communities that have sprung up out of that community. So um, in terms of what, what in life turns me on, I think it's, it's people and passionate people living out, living out what they feel like they're here for. And that can be in business. That can be in family. It can be in in faith as well. Um, So that's what turns me on in life. But um, yeah, me, me and my wife, we're, we're doing well. (laughs) I'll tell you what, an answer like that, man, you get to put an extra snack out for yourself tomorrow when you pull your snacks out for the day. What turns you off? What turns me off? Ah, man. You know, I'll say, what turns me off? Cop-outs, I think, you know, and I try, I try to give people a lot of grace for, I, I never know. I never try to judge people by what their experiences have been because they may have been a whole lot harder than mine. Um, and so I try to give people a ton of grace, but when someone knows what to do in their life and they, they struggle to, to do it, uh, that, that bugs me, you know, and that can come in so many different ways. Um, it bugs me for, for them. It doesn't bug me for me. I'm not comparing them to me, but uh, it bugs me for them. And I just, I like seeing people step up and take on new challenges and, and live out their passions. What sound do you love? Sound do I love? Um, I mean, I love being in nature. I love, sleep, I love sleeping in nature. So that, you know, natural sounds are always soothing to me. The, bub- the babbling brook, um, you know, the crickets and things like that. So I love that. But I would also say laughter, my, my children's laughter. When my children are in the other room wrestling or, or tickling each other or just goofing off and they have that pure, genuine belly laughter, man, there's nothing better. Yeah. What sound do you hate? What sound do I hate? Uh, many days, the alarm clock. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm more of a stay up late and just keep, keep getting stuff done. You know, I'm, I'm not a workaholic in any way, but I'm much more of a night owl than I am of a morning person. So, um, I've developed that habit, but it's, it's a muscle that I have to keep well-trained and COVID COVID has made it harder than ever to, uh, oh, yeah. get up early. So the alarm clock is probably one of my least favorite sounds. We'll try again for the, that E designation. What is your favorite curse word? Uh, you haven't hung around me much. I don't curse a lot. I do, I do curse under my breath at times. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's just a habit I kicked years ago. 
Um, my favorite curse word that I use or that I hear other people use. I don't know. <laughs> you probably wouldn't even consider it what I say curse words. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I have a favorite curse word. I'm going to have to take a pass on that one. Maybe I'll think of it. And if I, if I think of something, I'll come back to it. See, for you, you feel uncomfortable saying it. For me, I have too many, and it would just take up too much time to list them all. What profession <laughs> other than yours would you attempt? What profession? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I always loved sports. I wanted, I, I wanted to play football. I played a couple years in college. And, um, yeah, so I, I always do wonder what that life would have been like. I, I'm not envious of professional athletes. I know how hard it is especially after watching Michael, the Michael Jordan story. I'm sure, hopefully you've seen it. If you haven't watched it on Netflix, the uh, last dance story. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. It was unbelievable. Yep. Yeah. So yep. I, I think I, I would have loved to try my hand at professional sports. What profession would you not like to try? Um, high rise window washer. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's uh, a good one. I don't, I'm not, I'm not like deathly afraid of heights, but I like being in a position where I'm secure and stable. You know, I can be in a high rise building and looking out a window. That's fine with me, but I don't like being in an insecure. Actually, it goes back to an experience. I actually was at a, a party in college and a kid fell to his death off of a balcony and uh, oh, it, wow. affected, it affected us all a lot. And uh, I think my, my concern around precarious heights stems from that and if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates oh that's a good one well um i do believe heaven exists i i don't i don't think it's anything we our, our earthly minds can fathom so i don't try to i don't try to predict what it is uh we could go down and we could do a whole podcast on this um but i you know, I think if there is a, if there is a creator and I think more and more, everything we're learning about reality is pointing to creation, um, and a creative mind or a creative being that created it all. Uh, but I would say this, if, if there is a creator and he created, he or she, or it created time and space, then maybe heaven is outside of time and space. So let that one sit in your brain for a little while. Um, what would I want him to say? Oh, I don't know. I guess, you know, the, the Bible says, well done, my good and faithful servant. So if I can hear any version of that, I'll feel, I'll feel good. That's excellent. Excellent. Well done. Well done. All right. So Peter, I mean, you, there's a lot of stuff happening, you know, we want to give this opportunity here to, for you to just kind of tell us like, what are you working on? So just a chance to our audience listening know what are you doing? What are you working on? Um, and then uh, let us let everyone know how can they get a hold of you. Yeah, great. Thank you. Uh, what I'm working on is I am laser focused on helping businesses get more of what they want out of their company. And really, I, I work primarily with entrepreneurs because our system is designed to free them up. It's designed to help them live a better business life and a better personal life by teaching them that it doesn't have to be as chaotic as they've made it to be. Um, there's a proven set of simple practical tools to help them get more, more out of their business and structure and organize in such a way that they can do that. So I'm laser focused on that. 
Um, I'm reasonably full in terms of clients right now, but I am, I am graduating a couple of clients from our program over the next few months. So I am looking for some, some new clients to, to fill in those spaces. Um, and I work with companies 10 to 250 employees, usually somewhere in that range, small, typically owner operated, privately held. The, the, the owners are willing to be, I, I love this. We actually say in our target market, the owners and leaders have to be vulnerable which I love that that's the name of your podcast. They have to be vulnerable. They have to be willing to change. They have to be willing to um, do things a different way. Not uh, they're more afraid of the status quo than they are of change and, and making improvements and things, updating things in their business. So that's my target market. Um, and I prefer to work with people that are respectful, fun loving, and you know, they're taking people on the journey with them. Those are the people I like to work with, not people that are just building a building an empire unto themselves. That's great. And in terms of how to get a hold of me, um, hopefully you can put my email website in the in the show notes, and that's the best way to get a hold of me. My my email address, which is Peter at Align360Solutions.com, and my assistant, my administrator, or myself will get back to you that way. Peter, thank you for your time. This is amazing to hear. Uh, I learned. Even us as friends, I've learned some new things about you, uh, which is amazing. So uh, wish you the best of success and go out there and keep crushing it. Yeah, this is a blast. <laughs> Love this. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, we appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, you did great. I think uh, you're very vulnerable. Yeah, therapeutic. It was for me. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. It has a comment to it. We'll put, get that on a t-shirt too. Yeah. With the consult Peter for quotes because he has a lot of good quotes. So this is not so much just for our listeners. It's with our listeners. We're doing this with them, not just for them. We're all together in this big, massive, disconnected group called entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook and LinkedIn at The Vulnerable Entrepreneurs. Twitter and Instagram at The VE Podcast. The VE Vulnerable Entrepreneur Podcast. And join the conversation by visiting us on our website, thevepodcast.com, and email us at hello at thevepodcast.com. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. That wraps it up. We understand that every minute of your day is valuable, and we appreciate you spending time with us today.